0: Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Before we get into it, I'm just going to remind you about the Gridiron Sunshine Tour. Subscriptions starting to flow in, in association with Touchdown Trips. 19th to the 29th of November, six games in ten days. Thanksgiving in New Orleans, which will just be absolutely sensational in itself. Go to touchdowntrips.com forward slash gridiron tour to find out more. Uh, I'm Will Gavin, joining me on the show this week, Gridiron Magazine's Liam Blackbird. Liam, how are you doing, sir? All good, mate. Uh, And... Making his triumphant return, we didn't need Will Blackman the week of the London Games. We need a man who is ready and willing to talk about the Miami Dolphins collapse. Uh, are, are you still the features editor, Simon? Or I
1: was removed from last month's magazine completely. Back so, in. Back, in. Put you back in, put well, you
2: back in.
1: Thanks, mate. Only been there for five years. As the it was league.
2: just flexing my muscles. It's fine. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: Um, this
0: month, though,
2: Eddie. <laughs> Simon, <laughs> I'm I <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, Lord. Simon Clancy is with us as well. Uh, Simon, good to see you, my friend. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots to get into on the show today. Uh, we have uh, Jason Bell and Osi Eumannura with us shortly to talk about the upcoming London Games, Jets, Falcons this weekend. Of course, we will be there uh, covering it for all sorts of various people. So if you see us, feel free to come and say hello, particularly to uh, Simon. He absolutely loves it when people approach him in public and talk to <laughs>
3: us. <laughs>
0: in no way weird about it in any way, shape or form. Uh, Also, not going to be there this weekend, right? Only doing the second game?
1: Don't come and approach me there either.
0: (laughs) Well, he's crying into his Tua Tunga-Vailoa jersey. Uh, He's going to be back next week, though, right? He is. He is. No crying. No crying. It's too early to say that. It is far, far too early to say that. Um, So we'll be there uh, this weekend. JC and... JC, Jason and OC, coming up. Uh, shortly for you. Uh, first, gents, let's get into the news. Uh, it's another corner that could have gone to the 49ers and didn't. Stefan Gilmore has been traded from the Patriots to the Panthers for a sixth round pick. Former defensive player of the year coming off a torn quad still on the pup list. But, I mean, even on that torn quad, this is absolutely sensational that a player of Stephon Gilmore's quality is, is leaving the New England Patriots Simon,
1: Yeah, I think it speaks to I think it speaks to two things. I I think it speaks to the fact that the the Patriots felt like Gilmore did right by them, by not speaking out, by not complaining, by not complaining about his contract. Um, And I think they just felt it was time to move on. Age, he obviously does want a new contract. And I think given his age, they weren't prepared to do it. And I also think it says a lot about where Matt Moore and the Carolina Panthers are. Um, You know, they invested the first round pick in JC Horn, who's obviously now on IR with a broken foot, but they still have. You know they just traded for C.J. Henderson, the, who was the eighth overall pick two years ago for Jaguars. Obviously, Dante Jackson's still there. Um, A.J. Bouye is still there. Rashad Melvin is still there. Keith Taylor, who they got from Washington, so they're absolutely loaded in that secondary. You look at Jeremy Chin as well, obviously playing that kind of hybrid linebacker safety role. Um, I think it's a great pickup for the Panthers, who um, clearly not one of the upper echelon teams in the NFC. I think, as was shown by that performance last weekend against the Cowboys, who, who look like they really are. But this is a young team getting better. And there's kind of a window for Gilmore, really, of maybe two years. And I think he feels like, you know, if the Panthers continue to progress under Sam Donald, then, you know, he could get he could another
0: Super Bowl out in, in, in the last knockings of his career. And he's out of the AFC East, Liam. So a win for you. Right.
2: Yeah, and obviously Bill trading into uh one of Tampa Bay's divisional rivals, which I'm sure had no impact whatsoever on the decision. Um, yeah, just interested, obviously, the CJ Henderson one was was kind of one where they spoke about the future, and this is a really young team, really young defence, and this move is obviously about the here and now, you know, they've only got him under contract until the end of the year, but he's a guy from um, Carolina. He lives three doors down from the GM, so I imagine he's kind of keen to sign a, a long-term deal with them. I don't fully know the Panthers' salary cap situation, but they've obviously got... A lot of young guys who are going to need paying in the future, but there's no kind of high-profile high, high profile veterans that are taking up a lot of money at the minute. And the Panthers have been interesting. though, know, 13 trades since January, which is more than the th- uh, three previous seasons combined since Scott Fitterer came in. And it'll be interesting to see. You know, talking about you don't think they're a, a team in the upper echelon of the NFC. I, I fancy them to get to the playoffs this year. I'm just looking at the schedule coming up. Eagles, Vikings, Giants, Falcons, Patriots before they play the Cardinals. So... You know if they win five, if they win all five of those, that's eight victories, and you're more or less knocking on the, the playoff door there. So it was an important move.
1: I definitely think they'll make the playoffs. I just don't think yeah. they're, they're a team that necessarily you can see winning out in the NFC. But I, th- I think they'll make the playoffs, certainly.
2: I, th- I, th- I think they're probably maybe a couple of years away from being where they want to be in terms of a, a powerhouse in the NFC. And, and Gilmore's 31 now, you know, he's got a couple of years left in him, probably. If he plays anywhere like he did in 2019, people forget he was defensive player of the year only two years ago. Um, so. They're getting back in a couple of weeks off off the the corn tod, uh, corn tod the uh, torn quad. Uh, vegetarian Jake there. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a good move for them. I've, Matt Roll kind of summed up when he said anytime you can get a, an all-pro for a sixth-round pick, then they're absolutely going to be keen. And yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense from their point of view.
0: Yeah, from the Panthers' perspective, there's not a huge amount of cap space there, but there's a lot of dead money on there this year for Teddy Bridgewater, for K1 Short, for Luke Keekley Like, there's... there's million worth of dead money there that will disappear off and and create cap space next season. So there's potential for it to become a long-term thing, but even if he helps you to the playoffs this year and and continues to move your team forward, it'd be a pretty sensational turnaround if they get there this quickly. uh, It
1: also also works really well for Phil Snow and his defensive scheme, which is predicated on pass rush with Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick and whatever. You know, so that you know, it means that the quarterback has less time with the ball in his hands. And if you've got great cover corners as well, you're absolutely winning because you know that those guys are going to be able to get to the quarterback. And you also know that on the back end, those corners are going to be able to hold up. And, you know, with the league continuing to evolve to four and five receiver sets on pretty much every day, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but I would say we're in probably 70 plus percent of three and four wide receivers um, alignments on almost every snap. Um you need these big corners. You need good cornerbacks. And it, it's no good just to have a number one and number two anymore. You need a really good depth because those guys are going to play. You look at how New England have done it over the years. You know, they're playing six and seven defensive backs on almost every snap. And now that's happening across the league. Um, so you need these guys. And Gilmore just fits that. And for a six-rounder, like you say, it's um, it's manner from heaven.
0: Yeah, it's those are generally flyer picks as a rule. And so, yeah, Absolutely stunning trade to manage to pull off if he turns into anything this year, uh, anything viable at all. Uh, Let's talk Urban Meyer because the Jacksonville Jaguars are heading out to London next week. And I mean, if you've been living under a rock and you haven't seen the videos and I mean videos, because you have to have seen the second one really to get the context. So after Urban Meyer stayed in Ohio after the Jags lost to Cincinnati, video emerged of a woman grinding on the 57 year old married grandfather um it came out initially he came out made an apology spoke to shard khan uh, you know there were a lot of excuses that flew around about them being you know a group of youngsters essentially playing a prank on him and then the second angle emerges uh, where i'm not going to make a crude joke i very nearly made a crude joke i'm going to bite my tongue because i'm a classier man than that And then after that, Mike. (laughs) No, I'm not. But we're on a podcast in a bar. Yes, maybe I would have done. Mike Silver reporting that he just has zero credibility amongst the players. That he cancelled the team meetings on Monday. uh, That when he came in and he actually went in and apologized to them, he was essentially laughed at the moment he walked out of the room. Um, Yeah, this was meant to be their big. Move. They brought Trevor Lawrence in with that number one overall pick, the best prospect. And last couple of weeks, he's really started to show out a bit. And you go and you get this really splashy head coach signing and it is turning into an absolute cluster. Simon, you follow college football closer than anyone else. There's a possibility that this could have been predicted, I suspect.
1: Feels like the stars are aligning, Will, because the USC job, obviously something that Urban Meyer is very keen on, is uh, still available after Clay Helton sacking a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it would almost be the um, the perfect scenario. Um, obviously him taking a, what looked like a one-handed snap from a co-ed who was grinding a backside into um, into Urban Meyer's hand, which was turned Try, out... Trying new centres out. It's Yeah, it's... absolutely. absolutely, And it was working, clearly. I mean, I think, look, I think that um, it's the for the optics, it's a terrible look for your head coach to be spotted in a bar with a co-ed grinding herself up against him and him doing whatever he was doing with that rogue hand. That's a terrible look, but I think that's something you can overcome. I think what the worst look is, is the fact that Urban Meyer, after a defeat to the Cincinnati Bengals, refused or decided not to fly home with his team. And I think that's a terrible look. And I think ultimately that is what will get him sacked. I think that, you know, there have been a number of things that have got to this point, you know, the the and coach, the hiring of the The questionable personality of their strength and conditioning coach who had a history of um, racial epithets, racial language towards black players um, was a terrible look. And it's really not improved from that point. The the product on the field has been very bad. That will also be an issue. But I just think he is running out of time. And for Meyer, he doesn't look happy. You know, and whilst that USC job sits out, I mean, his heart looked in perfect condition while that co-ed was grinding us, you know, so I think his health is in perfect condition. But um, I, I do think that abdicating your responsibility as a coach by not flying home on the team charter whilst you're disappointed, annoyed, angry, upset veterans did that after a, a nationally televised defeat. You chose to stay at home in your own bar in Columbus, in Ohio, and then, uh, and then do that. That, to me, is a terrible look. And, it, and I don't think the lack of credibility that, my, uh, that Mike Silver reported necessarily comes just from that. I think it's stuff that the players have seen. In the build up to this point and if you're Shad Khan you've got to look at that you've got to look at the image of your team but also you've got to look at the fact that you've you just drafted a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence who is going to be the face of your franchise hopefully for the next 10 15 20 years you need somebody who can be responsible who can teach him not just the on-field stuff but the off-field stuff and if Trevor Lawrence is losing respect to his head coach already What does that say about the future of your team and about the the future of the the guy that you've just made, you know, the face of your franchise? I I do not think that Urban Meyer is long for this world. And I suspect that he won't die, um, but I I suspect that he will not be the Jaguars coach, maybe as as quick as, you know, the return home from London. And we know that, you know, Joe Philbin was fired by the Dolphins on the way home um, from that defeat to New Orleans a few years ago. And it could be that on the flight back, if he bothers to get it. Shakar may do the um,
0: may do the same thing. I was going to say at least there's a strong chance he won't <laughs> miss the flight when it comes to leaving London. So there's really? a positive for you.
2: It was I think so. made the most pertinent point there was about not taking that flight back. You know there was hundreds it seemed like ex NFL players saying we've never been in a situation where the head coach has not taken the flight back with the team. You know this is a team that have lost 19 straight games. They're 0 4 a big loss like that you need to stick together and he decides to stay behind I mean he argued that it was agreed beforehand because he wanted to spend time with his family I mean it's not hard to get from Jacksonville to New Ohio if you've got a day off or whatever furthermore if you want to spend time with the family you probably don't go to a bar where there's a load of co-eds and I mean the the kind of way he's handled it afterwards he cancelled the team meetings on the Monday and kind of addressed people individually didn't address the team as a whole and you know that that in itself you're going to struggle to get respect from your team for things like that and what happens if you know one of the players gets in trouble in London? Is Urban Meyer gonna then sit in front of that player and say you shouldn't have been doing this when two weeks earlier we've all seen the videos of what he's doing? And yeah, it just it just smacks me as a guy who kind of perhaps you know the cultures that he ran in college there were there were problems there. Obviously at Florida, we know about the multiple arrests at Ohio State when one of his staff was a uh, uh, he was placed on leave because one of his staff was um the reports he knew about the abuse allegations that were going on there, and you know. These things that happen in small Florida, in in small college towns, perhaps they get kind of brushed under the carpet a little bit because everyone kind of everything kind of revolves around the football team. It doesn't happen like that in the NFL, and he's kind of learning the hard way bit by bit. And from a coaching perspective as well, you know, the Jaguars have been up in both both the last two games. The the kind of thing that stuck out to me to the Bengals was that he essentially got out coached by Joe Burrow in the second half. Joe Burrow made all the adjustments, kind of tore his defense to shreds. And, and over Mike came afterwards and said they adjusted and we didn't. And you know how are you? How on earth is a guy who's that experience, coaching wise, getting outfoxed by a guy who's in his second year in the league—it's—it's it's just not been really good so far at all. And, and yeah, again, these kind of things get amplified when you're zero and four, and you've lost nineteen successive games, and it does begin it's beginning to look like the end of him there.
1: But also, those flights, those flights are really important. They're not just for coaches to, and, and players just to sit around, eat the eat the food, drink the drink, and watch the naked gun. You know, it's time to start watching film. That's what they do on these flights. Do you know what I mean? They, you know, you're not plugged into the to. You know, United's music channels. You are now starting to the, the film has already been segmented. It's been given to position coaches, and you're, you're now starting to review the film on the flight ahead of meetings that you're going to have that week. And certainly for the coaches, that's exactly what they're going to be doing is going through game film. So he was not there to coordinate what was happening. That was left to somebody else. So I just think you know, and, we're, and um, Lee makes a great point there about you know. It, what what moral standing does he have if a, if a Jaguars player ever steps out of line, he cannot start. He cannot take the moral high ground and say you should never do this, you shouldn't have done that, because they'll just laugh in his face, as they clearly almost did when he when he spoke to the
0: team a couple of days ago. So the um, uh, the point I enjoyed particularly was in case a Jaguars player gets in trouble in London, that's never happened <laughs> before, right? <laughs> £50,000 oh £50, bar bills and, you know, um, you'd like to think under a more authoritative head coach, things like that wouldn't happen. Unfortunately, this one doesn't have a huge amount did you ever of ever Could you ever imagine Bill Belichick or Kyle
1: Shanahan or, you know, um uh, Mike Tomlin, refu- you know, not flying home from, from you, you could never imagine a scenario where that would happen. Never.
2: Especially after a <laughs> defeat, especially after a <laughs> defeat, <laughs> Ray.
0: Weirdly, I can imagine Mike Tomlin doing it, but doing it as a pointed thing that would terrify every player into never playing badly for him again. But that's only because I'm personally terrified of Mike Tomlin. Yeah, he's Uh, a terrified human. Although, you know, I'm terrified of him. Aaron Rodgers has clearly got a little flirtation going with him based on what we saw last week. As have
1: the the Pittsburgh beat writers, based on what Tomlin said yesterday, sticking up for the local Pittsburgh journalists. Did you see that? It said that... um, he he's, he decides whether or not to speak to opposing journalists based on the way his own beat writers are treated by that team and by the. So if they're treated well, as they as they apparently were by the New Orleans uh, by the Saints team and by the Saints journalists, he'll happily, you know, speak out and give of himself in press conferences pre the games. But if uh, if his guys are treated badly, he's like not happening, not having a conversation with you. So. That's the sort of guy you want to go to bat for, also, it means that you're never going to write terrible stuff about him, but
0: that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem. It is the kind of guy you're going to go to bat for, even when, you know, his team are dreadful and his quarterback is clearly done. Yeah. Let's, uh, well, first of all, let's hear from uh, Osi Human. you're a two-time Super Bowl winner. Jason Bell, no-time Super Bowl winner, but lovely, lovely man and great football analyst. <laughs> <laughs> what a cue. <Q. laughs> no, the guy's a hero. Jason a Bell is one Q. of my favourite people, but I just felt like, how do I follow up saying that about Osi? Um, two NFL veterans... Both with experience out here in London to talk about this weekend's first London game uh, as the New York Jets take on the Atlanta Falcons in London this weekend. After a year away, two years since we last had teams out here, come to you first, Jason. You got to be hyped to have it back.
3: Oh, without a doubt, I, I, the excitement is real. I mean, it, this this was different. As soon as the week started, soon as coming into this week, I started feeling that like that situation, like I had a game to play, uh, and it's because this is this is our home turf, you know. OC and I take a lot of pride with what we do out here and we really understand that the team's coming here. This is a unique experience. OC has played in it. He's been around all these games so he he can talk about it better than anyone. But just witnessing in it every year is something I really missed and I'm just really hyped and excited uh, for what the players get to feel what the fans the energy this brings every time they play in the UK.
0: I mean, for you, O.C., Jason referenced it there, but you came out as a player with the Falcons, what, seven years ago? Now, what was it like coming out as a player for the first time and and experiencing that, obviously, with your ties to here? Did you come in 2007 as well? Am I right? Did you come both times? Wow, yeah, Okay, I didn't even think about it because I was just thinking about the Falcons again. So you came out twice. So what was it like, first time, second time, comparisons? Like, tell us a bit about your experiences.
4: Well, the first time I came was 07, and I hadn't been back to uh, London since I left in 87. So it had been like, what, what was that, 20 years maybe? So um, that was my first time back in the country. It was, it was an incredible experience. Uh, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of things that I remember, quite a few things that I didn't remember. But being around the team, um, bringing them to this environment or coming with them to this environment and playing the game at the iconic Wembley Stadium was just, it, it was incredible. Game wasn't so good. Uh, weather was just like I remembered it was, but overall it was just it, it was it was a great it was a great experience. But I think when I came back in 2014 with the Falcons, just to see the transformation of uh, the London Games uh, or, or the UK's Games, to see how the fans have grown, to see the the, the way the the knowledge of the game was different. It, it was like a real football game then, and it's not something that quite. Quite frankly a lot of people were expecting so to come to that environment play the game end up being a fantastic game that we were on the losing end of um, and we were out here for a week both times with the Giants and with the Falcons uh, we had we had a, a really good close bonding experience a lot of these guys had never left the country it was uh, it, it was fantastic for sure
0: you know what I most distinctly remember from that 2007 game and we had mm-hmm. uh, we had Jason Taylor on the show last year is that not only was it one of only I think four regular season rushing touchdowns for Eli Manning, but he beat <laughs> Jason Taylor on the edge to get there,
4: which did. is, it's gotta be a claim. Like you've, that's one you've got to die in, right? No question, man. And Jason was one of the best defensive ends in history. Um, and Eli got him, got him around the edge. And, <laughs> and we were celebrating, we were so hyped. The crowd went crazy. Uh, the sideline went crazy. It was a really cool experience. Brilliant. What would you tell
0: players, uh, OC now, who are coming out of time, whether they're rookies or whether they've never got the chance to experience it before, about what they're going to experience on Sunday?
4: They need to be prepared because a lot of them may be thinking that maybe they're coming out here for an exhibition game. They just don't know that it's real. And, um, you know, the fans know exactly what's going on. They're walking into a real live game experience. It's not preseason. It's actually real, so they need to be prepared, and they need to go about this like they would any regular season game, even though they're playing outside of the country. It's going to be a fantastic environment for them. It's going to be a, a situation that they never experienced, never thought they would experience, and I don't think they truly understand what they're coming into until they walk inside the Hotspur Stadium, and they're like, wow, this is this is like playing in America, right? So um, they just need to be, be prepared for that.
0: Jason?
3: Yeah, Osi's right. I mean, this, I think the atmosphere is just so different because the crowd cheers throughout the game and if you know you're not used to playing you know you're used to playing the states at a home game away game you kind of got that figured out here it's just intense man the fans are engaged and that's one thing that's the cool it's so cool about this experience I remember sitting on the sideline with OC and just looking up and thinking man this is amazing like I said OC's been able to play in it so he's just looking like I've been here before. I know what this feels like, but I'm like, this is crazy. And he's just like, yeah, this is this is unique. And that's the thing I missed the most. I think the fans make this thing so unique. I mean, it is such an experience. And and that's what I love about it the most. That's why I love being here. So it's uh, the, the players, the coaches, everybody involved. They get to experience that. and it, And it's amazing that it's back.
0: I remember being down on the sidelines at Tottenham two years ago and you guys come around to do some stuff, some interviews and stuff for the BBC. The fans are all getting down there, getting you to sign stuff, grabbing photos. You're beloved here, so of course you enjoy it. I I probably (laughs) would too. (laughs) Talk a bit about the game this weekend. Osi, I just overheard you giving your thoughts on the rookie quarterbacks. Zach Wilson getting that first win under his belt. Robert Sala getting that first win under their belt. What have you made of the Jets so far?
4: I think they've been all right. I think uh, defensively they've improved, especially last week, but I'm not sure if that is real or if that's just a, a factor of them playing against a team with their two top White House missing the Tennessee Titans. Uh, but I like the way they got after the passer. That, that I really enjoyed. As a matter of fact, anytime I see that by any team, even in high school, I, I really, I get very, very excited because I don't like the quarterback position and I like when they put him on their back. So I, I think um, overall, the Jets are going to continue to improve. I think their, their, their quarterback is going to continue to improve offensively once once they get uh, Becton back. I don't know if he's back this week or not. Um, do you know Do you know that? Anybody have that information? Yeah, sure. they,
0: they, they were touting that he was potentially going to be back this week, a couple of weeks ago, but I actually don't know whether he's traveling, whether he's going to be. So, uh, I, I'm going to check it and I'll let you know. Right,
4: that's fine. Well, as soon as they show up that offensive line, I think they're going to be okay. They got some good receiving weapons. They got a, a decent running back pretty decent offensive line and we know the quarterback they drafted him to be the guy of the future and the present has all the skills all the tools all the ability defensively they're going to have to hang their hat on their defense for the next couple of weeks until their offense actually catches up
0: we saw last season i think from robert salah when the 49ers suffered a lot of injuries that previously maybe been accused of being a you know a guy who'd walked into a great situation full of talent, and I thought he really proved himself last year that with less talent he could still scheme it up and he could still make it work. The Jets came into this year with you know a bunch of defensive injuries, so how much can they succeed on scheme alone when it's not as talent rich Jason?
3: Well, I think you have to look at it like this it's really it's not about scheme alone, it's philosophy and the way they teach things over there. That's what Robert Sala is known for. That's that whole Seattle type of tree. Um, those guys and how they teach the game. And what you see in their ability to play, especially in the secondary, uh, young, young guys that don't have a high pedigree is how they teach them the game, how they make them aware of the situations that are in front of them. And I think that's what we're seeing with this Jets defense. They are, they are coached up very well and that is the key uh, some some teams are all about the scheme and some are all about teaching the fundamentals and i i robert Sala can do both and that's why I, i'm gonna steal osi's line he said somewhere else and the matchup we're looking i'm looking forward to forward to is uh the jets defense versus that atlanta Falcons offense I really want to see that Matt Ryan is going to be when he gets under the center he's going to be able to dissect everything one thing he knows he's seen it all so I want to see how they match up and how well they're coached uh, because that's going to be the key to this game
0: as much as you say that coming to you on this OC as, a, as a former Falcon Arthur Smith came in we were expecting you know potentially this offensive revolution and they've got so much talent there guys like Calvin Ridley Kyle Pitts really haven't shown up to the extent we hoped they would. And yet you get a guy like Cordero Patterson who suddenly looks like the best running back in the NFL outside of maybe Tennessee. I mean, what have you made of the Falcons so far, OC? What have you made of that offense?
4: I think the issue with that offense is the fact that Calvin Ridley, now he is the target, right? That like people know about this guy's ability, so they're trying to take him away. Kyle Pitts was talked about as a generational tight end. So people are trying to take him away. And what you have seen is this has opened up the field for everybody else. This is why you're seeing the success of these other players that you talked about. Patterson has been in the league for quite a long time. Everybody knows he's a dynamic football player, but now he's being the guy. He's being put in positions to succeed. And I think he's in those positions because everybody's so focused on taking away the other football players from that team. I think Arthur Smith has done a fantastic job. I think Matt Ryan continues to play at a very high level, very underrated football player. Been in the league for 14 years, probably been a top five quarterback for 13 of those years. Nobody talks about this guy on that level, and they should be. So I think overall, this team is going to continue to get better under Arthur Smith. He's a fantastic offensive coordinator slash head coach. Um, Look out for this team. And the minute they start to focus on these other football players, the minute they start to try to take away Patterson, that's when you're going to see Kyle Pitts start to emerge. And this is where you're going to see Calvin Ridley develop into the force that he was last year.
0: What do you do as a player when you come off a loss like that one against Washington last weekend where, for all intents and purposes, it looks sewed up and you give up that huge play at the end, Jason, and it's just, you know, it's got to be pretty devastating.
3: Yeah, it's tough. And that's why coaches come in they address the issue and you got to move on. I think the great thing about it is when you are close and you look at the film and you reevaluate, you say we were right there, which makes you understand we are a good team. We just need to clean up a couple of mistakes. I mean, we, one thing we always talk about in football, simple things, turnovers, penalties, little things, mistakes. Most games are lost, not won. So when you go back, you reassess what you did wrong. It gives you the confidence that if we just clean these things up, we're a good enough team to win games. And that that is going to be advantageous for them coming over here to London.
0: Before we wrap up, I do have to ask you, because it is live on TalkSport 2 this Sunday evening, about Sunday night football. It's a replay of the AFC Championship game. Bill's at Chiefs. Uh, There's a part of me that, even though this is only eight or nine months later, and these are very similar rosters to what we saw, same coaching staffs. I, I don't know. I'll come to you first, O.C., but the Bills looking hot going into this weekend.
4: They are looking out. They've been probably the most dominant football team, especially over these last couple of weeks. They've just obliterated their competition, and you might think that's an easy thing to do in the NFL. It is not. No matter who you're playing, you could be playing the worst team in the NFL, and to beat them the way this team has done has been nothing short of amazing. So the Kansas City Chiefs, I think offensively, they got their groove back last week. Uh, they've been punching them the mouth the week before then. They got their work cut out for them against this Buffalo Bills team. Now, they, they you know, they're going to be in big trouble here, and they're going to have to rely on all their skill, all their expertise, all their coaching knowledge to be able to overcome this Buffalo Bills football team that I think is probably playing the best out of all teams in the AFC right now. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Chiefs got a problem.
3: Chiefs got a problem, man. You're right, OC. The Bills, the way they're playing on defense is amazing. And the Chiefs right now, I don't know what's happening on defense. When I look at it, I look at Chris Jones and I don't see much else. So uh, on offense, O.C.'s right. I mean, this this team got their mojo back. Patrick Mahomes looked great last week. But one thing about Steve Spagnola, and O.C. can speak to this better than anybody. He finds a way to adjust as the season progresses. And that's what I'm hoping he builds this defense around the situation and the talent he has this year cuz right now they're not looking good and that is going to be problematic against the bills D- hey,
4: do don't you worry don't, don't you worry about steve i promise you you'll adjust <laughs> that's that. <laughs> they'll be ready by the end of the year don't you worry about that
0: that pass rush just isn't getting home though O.C. like they're just not getting anything out of them at the moment
4: yeah, they're not. You know, and that's, that's a very, very difficult situation to be in when your pass rush is not getting on, especially in the way the NFL is constructed uh, recently. You know, all the, all the leverage goes to the offensive players, the wide receivers especially. So if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback, um, then it's, it's a very difficult thing to do to win. Now you have to start dialing up. This is exposing your corners. They don't have the best corners in the league anyway. So it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, But I think those guys who they have on that team, they're going to get it together and eventually um, they're going to find a way to stop this bleeding.
0: Guys, real pleasure. Hopefully see you at training on Friday. If not, we'll see you Sunday. Looking forward to it. Good to see people back in person again and NFL crowds in the UK. I'm hyped.
3: Appreciate it. See you there.
4: Yeah, Yeah, Will.
0: Uh, Osi Yuminura, Jason Bell joining us on the Gridiron show. Will Gavin, I've got Simon Clancy with me, Liam Blackburn with me as well. And don't forget, the London Games after-party, not for this weekend, but for next weekend for the Dolphins-Jags game. Cannot confirm or deny that Urban Meyer will be in attendance, uh, but I'm sure if he knew about it, it would be the place that he would go after the game rather than to the airport. 5.30 till late, big screens right by Russell Square, dead easy to get to from Tottenham. We've got big screen TVs showing Red Zone, all the action from the early and late slated games. Uh, there's an on-site pizzeria that does pizzas that are just the size of a whole table, plus burgers, hot dogs, beers. Private rooms available to hire. Bowling lanes, beer pong. It's only a £5 entry. Head to Acrid Iron on Twitter to find more info on there. It's going to be a really, really good time. Uh, and hopefully some of the lads will be there for it. And uh, let's look forward to this weekend in London, though, where none of the lads are going to be there apart from me. So there will be no post-game drinking with you boys, which is devastating. But Will's a we... Jets fan and he's not going. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: no,
0: not Will. Liam's a Jets fan he's not going. <laughs> Liam is a Jets fan, and he isn't going. And is that was that a plan prior to them getting their first win last week? And did that make you, in some way, reconsider your decision?
2: Yeah, they were just the New York Jets before last week. Now they're the resurgent New York Jets. So um, <laughs> no, I'm unfortunately at wed in this weekend, so it's a shame. But yeah, I, especially after the way they played on Sunday, I'd, I'd kind of love to watch this game and. it could end up being a bit of a shootout, really, because I I can't see Atlanta's defence stopping anything. Um, And, you know, Matt Ryan can put up yards, can put a point. So it could could be, I think it might be the better game of the two, depending on kind of where Miami are with Tua and the kind of how how far along the Jacksonville meltdown is by next Sunday.
1: When Zach Wilson indicated to Corey Davis to go deep on that touchdown, then he hit him in the end zone in double coverage. You know, Liam picked up his phone and called the uh, the wedding. Like, I'm really sorry. I've got
0: COVID. I can't come. Are you a member of the? Uh, are you a member of the wedding party?
2: Uh, my girlfriend is a chief bridesmaid. Yeah, so it's not like I'm a. a sorry,
0: who's a chief bridesmaid? My girlfriend is a chief bridesmaid. You're a bridesmaid, though. That sounds like that sounds like you don't have to be there. She does.
1: Yeah, you've got no responsibility, mate.
2: That's true, yeah, which is the I can get drunk, right? I mean, I can still watch um, Michael Floor's motions in the church, right, on my phone. That's still going to be a done thing, seeing where, where where Keelan calls me and all that sort of stuff.
0: <laughs> where 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 is the wedding?
2: Uh, the Lake District, so it's mm. not even remotely
0: close. Yeah, you're not getting there till like 10pm if you come to London, Damn it. No. I am going to try and figure it out for you. Sorry, mate. Is it worth dumping your missus? Sorry?
2: Worth dumping your missus? Yeah, Do do you like her that much? uh yeah i do unfortunately so she's coming to the gridiron party so you can um you can talk to her there about her friend's terrible decisions to get married during uh the nfl season Just on during October,
0: come on get married in i the
2: know summer. i know i mean it was, i think it's been postponed twice because of the pandemic so uh, so don't make jokes about the wedding sympathy, right fine yeah, I, get it. I get
0: it i will yeah. bite my tongue We're not talking a lot about the game. Maybe that's because we're getting two, one and three teams. But I can remember the most entertaining, one of the most entertaining learning games between two zero and 4 teams when the Vikings and and Steelers came out and played here, both winless and looking for that first victory. So uh, for me, I think what's intriguing is I want to see what that Jets offense can get going against the banged up, but reasonably well-schemed Jets' defense. Got a bit of pressure on last week. You know, it was good to see. And, yeah, Cordero Patterson has apparently become an absolute touchdown and uh, big play machine, whilst people like Calvin Ridley and Carl Pitts haven't been able to get going anyway whatsoever. So, yeah, I, I think that there's there's intrigue there. I think there's excitement. I think it's going to end up being a really fun game. Cordero think- Patterson.
2: <laughs> that's that's kind of the, uh, the mark on Arthur Smith is, OK, he hasn't got Calvin Ridley and Carl Pitsko, which everyone assumed, but he's the first coach to work out how to use Corderell Patterson in an effective way, which is kind of like the, the feather in his cap so far. But I just think it's going to be a, a good game in terms of, you know, there's two, two defences in the league that haven't had interception yet, the Jets and the Falcons. The Falcons' defence is, they've lost Isaiah Oliver, who is a slot corner, who's playing well. Eric Harris is safety, he's not practised this week. Their secondary is awful. They can't get any pressure on the pass rusher. The two things that kind of Zach Wilson will struggle with, given that he turns the ball over and the offensive line has been struggling to hold up. So that's a really good matchup for them. The Jets are kind of getting healthy at receiving I, Jameson Cryder was back last week, looked really good. Keelan Cole came in last week, looked really good. They've obviously got um, Braxton Barrios and Corey Davis. Denzel Mims, the guy who took in the second round last year, is probably going to be an active. So the offense is kind of going going a bit now. There were were a couple of wide throws by Zach Colson last week, which is kind of showed you why they made that second overall pick. As you mentioned there, Will, the defense has been performing much better than expected. They've they've lost, obviously, arguably the two best players in Carl Lawson and Marcus May. And they're they're running out a bunch of guys. Basically, they're signing off practice squads and immediately starting them the next week. And they're just playing really well in that scheme. Um, The other thing... I think this kind of works in the Jets' favour is Jeff Holbrick the defensive coordinator, ended the year last year as the Falcons' defensive coordinator. So he knows that system really well. So I, I quite like the Jets in this game. Um, but I think there'll be points and I think there'll be yards. So I think it'll be I think it'll be a good game.
0: Looking forward to it. Excited. We'll be there, as we say, Sunday, uh, two PM. If you really want to listen to me, I'm on radio. I won't tell you where. But uh Gridiron, party next week, Saturday night. Let's move on. Talk about our other teams uh, and some of the other week five matchups we want to mention. Uh, the Dolphins are at the Bucks this weekend. Simon, what's going on?
1: I mean, it's blowout central, mate. It's blowout central. It's so fascinating. There'll be a piece in next month's magazine actually about it. Um, it, it does very much feel like the rebuild has gone so drastically wrong. Um, you know, and it's part of the issue when you, you know, you, you, if that's the path you choose to go down, you deal away good players. You get back picks in return, and everybody thinks that's amazing. You know, you work free agency to make sure that you have a lot of cash. That's also amazing. So to put yourself in that position is part one, but that's the easy part. The difficult part then is is actually doing something with those selections. Um, and the Dolphins just haven't at the moment. You know, the 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 jury is definitely still out on on tour and he has a huge now five game run when he gets back. Jacksonville, um, he has Jacksonville, Atlanta buffalo the jets and baltimore and you kind of feel like it's the making or breaking of his career in a way but it's also very much set up set up for him to come back and sort of be a bit of a hero because people are saying you know oh Jacoby Brissett, could, well, you know Jacoby Brissett will not be the starting quarterback when Tua comes back um and he actually played pretty well in the opener against the patriots but they have summarily failed with the rebuild you know um Those second and third first picks that they had in 2020, Austin Jackson, just looks like the worst left tackle in in football. He's just been atrocious this season. He's given up 22 pressures in three games. And to put that in some sort of context, David Bakhtiari uh, last year gave up nine pressures in an entire season. Um, And yes, Bakhtiari, along with Terrell Armstead, is probably the best left tackle in the league, but nevertheless... Noah it' who was the corner they took from Auburn, 30th. He's been, um, he has been a healthy scratch for the first four weeks of the season. Hunter Long, who they took in the third round, tight end from Boston College, been a healthy scratch for three of the four games this season. The rookies this year, actually, Jalen Phillips, Jalen Waddell and, um, and Javon Holland have all played pretty well. But it's that 2020 draft that's going to be the killer for Chris Greer. They haven't fixed the offensive line. It's just been it's just been an ap- it's such a bad unit, you know, and, and two have got drilled by, you know, there's nothing... Yes, you need to be healthy, stout out on the field because the best ability is availability, as Bill Parcells used to say. But, you know, you can't help it if Jesse Davis just completely whiffs and and um, AJ Epinesa just runs into him from six yards away at full speed and breaks through his ribs. I mean, what can you do about that? You can't, you know... So huge question marks of the Dolphins, huge question marks over Chris Greer and questions beginning to be asked about Brian Flores, who in his first two seasons when the Dolphins were underdogs the whole time, they played like underdogs and they had an underdog mentality. You know, they take on the world. There'd be trick plays and there'd be fake punts and there'd be amazing stuff at the goal line. You know, the touchdown of the, the, the year that they had with a punter throwing the, the touchdown to the kicker. And those. Now they're playing not to lose. You know, they, they've eschewed two long field goals in the past two weeks, a 54 and a 55 yarder. Jason Sanders is the all-pro. a current all-pro kicker. Was the best kicker in the NFL last year. He's not become anything other than you know a top two or three kicker in the league this season. Um, and yet they're you know they're choosing to punt um, for field position rather than um, rather than convert on field goals with arguably the best kicker in the league. And it just seems like they're playing like I said not to not to lose, but they are losing. Uh, you know, it was a tough loss against the Raiders, but getting blown out 35-0 at home against the Bills. And then that clunker that they threw in last week against the Colts team, With you know, Carson Wentz with two ankle issues, with no, you know, Braden Smith, no Quentin Nelson, you know, a load of players out on defence. That was just... And they did it on the weekend with which they were honouring Don Shuler as well. So they had more former Dolphin players back in the facility than they've ever had before. And they absolutely shat the bed, Um it was embarrassing. And, you know, I think things have got to change. But whether or not, you know, Steve Ross, who has perpetually kept people around for longer than they should, whether or not he does the same with Chris Greer, the general manager, remains to be seen. But it is not a it's not a good look. And the rebuild really has, the wheels have begun to fall off. And now you need, A, the 2021 rookies to be spectacular, but you also need Tua to come back and, and live up to those expectations. Because he, he played okay at times last year, and he played not so well last year. Um, and then the, obviously the drumbeat of Deshaun Watson will not go away. You know, so there is that in the background as well. And, and that feels like Chris Greer's kind of hail Mary to try and keep his job. So we shall see what happens.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, well summed up. I had about four points that I thought of throughout and then kept coming back round to them. But you, you, it's difficult to argue with kind of anything you've said there regarding the Dolphins. I wonder if, you know, that actually could be the opposite for them, the antithesis of what we were saying about the Jags, that trip to London. They come out here, it's a good chance to reset. Tua is back. You're playing a bad football team. Maybe that is the moment to start turning things around, but that lack of aggression and that sudden having the hope hope and expectation on top of you that you should now be a playoff team based on what's happened the last two years, it's so far biting them. I also actually think that Carson Wentz is a better quarterback with two sprained ankles because he doesn't freelance as much, and it's a it's a decent scheme that gets guys open and he's been making better throws when he's been in the game with a bad leg than he has done when he hasn't been.
1: Maybe Arthur Smith can employ Kathy Bates, sort of do a misery <laughs> on <of> Arthur every week and keep him in check. But, um, yeah, the, uh, those two games, the Jacksonville game and the, the, the Atlanta game for Miami, but also for two are absolutely massive. Because if you can come back and, because the offense has really changed dramatically with Brissett in, they, they've gone away from that RPO offense that they installed which looked really good at times in week one against New England. In the opening drive against the Patriots, I was like, wow, this team is going to be serious this year. So if they can get back to that, and you know, two of being in London, you know, there's a little bit less pressure against the Jaguars. It kind of feels like a bit of a gimme. If you can back that up the following week against the Falcons, if they do lose this weekend to Tampa, then all of a sudden they're back to three and four. And you think, okay, now they've got a bit, a bit of momentum. Thursday night game against the, um, against the Ravens coming up, you know, Ravens obviously a really good team and they do what Miami can't do, which is stop the run. They do that very well, but it's a Thursday night game. You just never know. So um, yeah, it's just a really important four or five weeks for the future of the Miami Dolphins and the future of this rebuild, because I think if they get, if Tua gets right, then the issues around Austin Jackson and, and Igben sort of slightly go away a little bit because you've got the quarterback, but if you don't get the quarterback, then you, you don't have anything.
2: So, What's your take on these co-offensive coordinators and kind of how oh. that's working?
1: It's it's not working. That's the biggest indictment of Flores. That Brian Flores is really stubborn and hard headed, which is one indictment. It's what Adam Gaze was as well, which was to to his detriment. I think there's lots of things to like about Brian Flores, but that's one of them, the stubbornness. The other is he's he has perpetually got offensive assistance really badly wrong. Um, you know he. he uh, has never been able to stick with a guy. This will now be his third The well, fourth, really, when you compare the two of them. The worst thing about this is that you have George Godsey and the running back coach, Eric Studsville, as the offensive coordinators. And then it was announced last week via Trent Dilfer, who Tua had told him, because obviously Trent Dilfer and Tua had worked incredibly closely in the run-up for the draft, that Charlie Fry, the former Detroit Lions quarterback, was now calling the plays. So it's... Now they've essentially got three offensive coordinators. But it it, it feels... And Dan Orlovsky made a great point the other day. He said it it feels like the Miami's offensive game plan is drawn up almost like on the back of a, you know, a fag packet. It's so inconsistent. And it's... In terms of their offensive... You know, Jalen Wardle has started the season really well. You've obviously got Devontae Parker, who went healthy, is a a good receiver. Mike Gesicki's a top six or seven tight end. Against the Colts, Mike Gesicki caught his first... But in fact, had his first target... With the penultimate play of the third quarter, and Devonte Parker had his first target and catch with the last play of the third quarter. You cannot be a, a decent offensive team if your two best weapons are only getting the ball at the back end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter. They came out through to Jalen Wardle three times in the first quarter, in the first two drives. I don't think Wardle caught another pass for the rest of the game. You just think, where's the consistency with this? Like. They started Miles Gaskin at running back for the first two games of the season. The Gaskin is a really good kind of scat back replacement guy, catches the ball well, runs hard, runs well if he's given lanes and stuff. And then they started Malcolm Brown against the Raiders, and he had the long touchdown, the 25-yard touchdown run. But the reason they gave for starting Malcolm Brown last week was that they wanted him to get more touches. He had five touches against Oakland. They wanted to get him more touches against the Colts. He had seven touches against the Colts. And you just think, if you want to get a guy more touches, you want to go from five to 20. You don't want to go from five to seven because that's not really, it's just so inconsistent with what they're doing. In big moments, they're calling bad plays. Their guys can't get open. I don't know what's wrong schematically. Like defensively, their run fits are really bad, but the the, the receivers just can't can't get open. They're not taking any deep shots. You know, you bring in Jalen Waddell, he had. Against the Raiders, he had 12 catches against the Raiders for 4.8 yards per catch. And you think, this is a guy that was, you know, is the, was the best deep threat in college football last year. You're expecting, you know, if you'd expected, he could have had three catches for 120 yards at, what, 45 yards a catch, you wouldn't have been surprised. In fact, you'd been less surprised than you were the fact that he had 12 catches for 4.8 yards of reception. That's ridiculous. And, and, and that has to be fixed, but I just don't know how you fix it. With a three headed monster. And then at the end of the game against the Colts, you had Devontae Parker literally going to the sideline, bemoaning to Brian Flores that he wasn't getting the ball, and rumors that Flores took over play calling
0: late on in the fourth quarter. Are you thinking, well, that's now four it, <laughs> and in one game? I, I, <laughs> I honestly thought that the situation in Chicago where apparently Matt Nagy is having to approve the offensive play calling. So before you send it to the helmet, you're running it past Nagy every play or how's that like just absolute insanity. And yet somehow Miami Indicrous. managed to, uh, manage to beat that somehow. Now we've provided some kind of, uh, some kind of, psychological relief Simon Clancy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To get his feelings off his chest. Uh, Let's move on. I've been asked in the running order to talk about another game which has blowout written all over it potentially this weekend uh, as the San Francisco 49ers go to Arizona to face the Cardinals. The, The minor hope is the NFC West weirdness slash finally Cliff Kingsbury will turn up and start coaching this team instead of it being coached on the field by their all-pro looking, maybe even MVP level looking quarterback, but right now They look like the best team, at least in that division, having the way they beat the Rams last week and really beat the Rams last week. But they just look absolutely superb on on both sides of the ball. What it is, is likely to be Trey Lance back. I'm not buying into this kind of Jimmy Garoppolo could be back this weekend. Trey Lance has been taking the snaps. They've been working in this new scheme for him. They've been trying to make it so that he will be the guy this weekend. I don't think they suddenly flip back to Jimmy Garoppolo because he passes a late fitness test on Sunday morning. And maybe they never flip back to Jimmy Garoppolo again after this I, mean, I don't know how if people have watched the seahawks game back it was a very very odd game where you know the seahawks averaged 4.3 yards per play despite having a couple of big catches down the field and the 49ers dominated for large stretches of certainly the first half they outgained the seahawks by nearly 2 yards to 1 in terms of total yardage but a muffed punt a bad turnover And the fact that Trey Lance struggled to get the ball moving in the second half meant that the Seahawks kind of eked one out. So it's not a game I feel hugely bad about apart from the problems in the secondary, which yes, injury is part of that, but also lack of talent beyond the starting three who are an okay unit, but not a superb unit by any stretch of the imagination. The pass rush looks good. Offensive liners look good. The running game hasn't looked great, but it has been a rotation of guys yet again. I just, I much like Justin Fields' second start for Chicago. I want to see what this offense looks like when Trey Lance has been given the week to take the snaps, prepare and put an offense in place, which is designed for him. Anyone who looks at last week and says that, you know, we didn't look very good. And admittedly, the one play that he did make was the most broken coverage I think I've seen in a very long time. Guess what? Like we said at the time, Jamal Adams for two first round picks might be a good deal for some team. He doesn't suit what the Seahawks does and was a bad trade for that team. At least he took a team friendly contract, but just absolutely awful blown coverage for that one play. It's just go back and watch the Justin Fields where he gained what 68 yards and got sacked eight times after coming into a game at short notice and then compare it with how much better he was this week. And I think that I'm going to say this, but I don't know as much as say a Simon Clancy about these things. I was more excited about where Trey Lance was coming into the league than I was just in Field. So he doesn't have a gimme like they did uh, for the Bears going up against the Lions last week. But I'm hopeful that coming into the second week with some time, we might see a bit more from him. It's just very clear last week he wasn't ready either to come into that game or full stop, because they were somehow expecting him to sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a whole year, despite the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been able to finish a whole season, what, more than once in the last five years? It it just seemed ridiculous that you were ever going to expect that from him. But I am excited to see what he does, even though I'm not particularly hopeful for a victory in the desert.
2: It's a a good matchup on paper in terms of the Cardinals are giving up 5.4 yards per attempt on the ground, which is the second worst in the league. They gave up a load of yards to Jacksonville and the Rams, neither of whom's rushing offence is particularly good. And if you put Trey Lance in that offence and kind of build a system around Trey Lance's skill set rather than, as you say, last week and Shanahan made this clear after the game, he was running Jimmy Garoppolo's offence, not a Trey Lancelot offence. So that kind of gives me encouragement. I don't know where we're at injury-wise with Trent Williams and George Kittle. Is, are they likely to both play? or
0: uh, Kittle likely to pay, play Williams was doubtful earlier this week, upgraded to questionable, I want to say. There is some th- thought he could play. It's a shoulder injury, but obviously when you're <laughs> a tackle that's expected to be that anchor on that side of the line, a shoulder's quite an important part of your body. Um, yeah, it'd be a huge loss if he is missing. I wouldn't be that surprised if he was. And... They've got a couple of players there who can get after the quarterback. It's fair to say. I thought yeah. that. Sorry, Liam. Go, go on,
4: on
2: say so you go, mate.
1: No, I was just going to say that I thought that kind of buried in the um buried in the hyperbole around uh, Tampa and New England last week was lost the fact that the Arizona Cardinals made an absolutely enormous statement. You know, beating the Rams on the road, and it kind of it wasn't really talked about. It was just like, and, and it wasn't close either. Um, and, one, and and I also think that everybody's kind of got the. The wrong end of the stick, in a way, you know. People are talking about the offense has been really good, and it has. You know, Kyler Murray is playing at MVP level, which he is. Um, You know, they're getting good work from Chase Edmonds and from um, from James Connor. Obviously, the receiving core um, is showing up, and you know, apart from Hopkins, you've you've obviously got you know that kind of budding superstar like Christian Kirk, but also um, the the kid from Purdue, by the way. Yeah, and Kirk has been unbelievable,
0: and AJ Green looking like AJ Green of about twenty thirteen. It's ridiculous.
1: But I think the defence is the thing that's, you know, I think Vance Joseph has done an amazing job. You know, they're disguising in pressure. What they have as well is, you know, J.J. Watt looks revitalised for the time being, you know, and how long will it last with the injury history, but uh, as long as it does. They still have, to, to my mind, the most underrated player in the past 15 years in the NFL in Chandler Jones, who is an absolute, or who should be, an absolute lock for the Hall of Fame when you look at his numbers. You know, they attack from the edges using athletes. They have athletes in the secondary. Isaiah Simmons has been a revelation because Vance Joseph now knows how to use him. And in that secondary, they've got a couple of absolute, like, people don't know a lot about Byron Murphy, but Byron Murphy is becoming a superstar, at cornerback um, to play alongside Buda Baker. But the one player that nobody talks about is the kid that they got in the supplemental draft in 2018, 19, 19 Jalen Thompson. Mm-hmm. Washington State who's just been fantastic he's has been absolutely superb you know, he was a really good player in college um they picked him up like I said in the um in the supplemental draft but he's he's just been superb for them and I think that that defense is a really unheralded portion of why they're doing so well and it will be really interesting for Trey Lance and it'll be a really interesting test as well against McGlinchey is Trent Williams okay after the
0: the no it's a shoulder we were just saying this It's a shoulder there's no confirmation of he'll play this right. weekend I'd be concerned even if he did that yeah. that's not an injury you want on your left tackle
1: you don't you really don't especially when you're facing Chandler Jones when you're facing Marcus Golden when you're facing JJ Watt you know and when you're facing Isaiah Simmons so they're just gonna you know they can lie they can do everything with frankly you know you get Buda Baker blitzing all those sorts of things so I think um it's been lost a little bit both a, the Cardinal success and what they did last week to the Rams, but also just how well that defense has played and how well Vance Joseph has got them playing. Because, and for a rookie quarterback like Trey Lance, you know, if if they're confusing Mass Stafford, like they did last week in terms of where pressure is coming from and how they're playing, you know, and how they're dropping people. Because you just don't know what they're going to do with Baker and, and Simmons because they're so versatile. So I think for Trey Lance, that's going to be a very difficult job for him, to, especially as a guy that came from a from an FCS program into, you know, he's not going to have seen a lot of what the Arizona Cardinals are going to throw at him on on Sunday. And and that would be very interesting.
0: Yeah. Not huge hopes for this game, but 17 game season, plenty more on the slate to come. I still think this can be a playoff team. uh, And I'm still excited for what they're going to achieve this year. And, you know, maybe getting Trey Lance in sooner rather than later. I, I feel like a hypocrite that I have said about other teams who are in the middle of a rebuild or need to get that quarterback, the reps get them the reps, get them in. And I think it's mad that, you know, say the Jaguars doing the whole Minshew-Lawrence split was insanity pre-season, but I have, when it comes to my team, been much more, I don't know, cautious with it. You hear the response every time it comes into the game. It's absolutely sensational. Clearly he is the quarterback of the future. Jimmy Garoppolo with his noisy feet and his patting of the ball and his just... Yeah, I don't dislike the man. But, and he has these little... Every game, he'll have a drive where he goes like six of six and makes two really great throws. And you will be health like, great. There he it's is. It's health. When you miss 28 games
1: over the last yeah. three seasons, that, that, that's, and it goes back to what I said earlier, the best ability, ability is availability. And if he's not around... Because I think when he plays and when he gets in rhythm, he's a really good player. Like there were times against Green Bay where I thought, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo looks superb in this game. But if you cannot consistently be healthy, if Carl Shanahan cannot consistently rely on him, that's such a massive issue.
0: There are a couple of other really intriguing looking games on the slate this weekend. I do think Packers at Bengals. I'm quite excited to see how the Bengals handle that uh, that Packers offense. Uh, I think that the uh, I actually think that. Uh, the Broncos-Steelers game is, is massively intriguing uh, after the Broncos coming off that loss to the Ravens. Uh, Bills-Chiefs Sunday night football. I just want to make a mention of this before we sign off because this is a replay of the AFC Championship game where, let's be quite honest, the Bills got their absolute behinds handed to them and it looked like it was that step too far for them. Right now, and I know they were facing the Texans last week, and I know they were facing Davis Mills, who I think had two... You were talking about getting your ball to your best players. I think he had two completions through three quarters, let alone finding his best players through that same period of time. Uh, So that has to be taken somewhat into account. But It's still beating a team by 40 points and keeping them scoreless is a pretty sensational thing to do. The Bills look absolutely dominant after a bit of a wobbly week one. And with the Chiefs defense yet to figure it out and with the pass rush definitely not getting home right now and most of the secondary not making a huge number of plays, if the Bills have got a chance to go and, and get a result in Kansas City and, and kind of avenge what happened. This feels like the weekend. This is this feels like the Bills have, should have the ball in their court. And yet it's a little bit of me, Liam, that still struggles to pick against the Chiefs at home with everything they've got.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it's not a wise decision to pick against Patrick Mahomes at home, is it, particularly when that offence is is humming the way it is. But you're absolutely right about the, the Chiefs' defence, you know. The Eagles put up 461 yards last week and didn't punt once against that Chiefs' defence. You know, you're now playing against the Bills, who perhaps have the second-best offence in the AFC. Um, and the, the kind of questions we had about the Bills coming into this season were, can they get the running game going? Well, so far it's a top five running attack. Zach Moss is kind of making the leap this year after being inactive in the first week and kind of he looks like a good complementary back to, to Devin Singletary. And then the second question was about the pass rush. And, and all right, I don't think they have a elite pass rusher per se, but they kind of seem to be getting enough out of um, Epinesa, uh, Rasai the rookie, um, Addison and Hughes kind of in this rotation, that they're getting enough pressure between them that they don't really necessarily need that elite um, elite pass rusher. Um, the, you know, the points differential so far for the Bills is plus 90. I know they played some bad teams, but the next best in the league is the Cardinals at plus 55. One of the, the kind of signs of a good team is can they really beat up on the bad teams? And they, they've absolutely done that. Miami, know offence, Side, Pittsburgh and Washington and, and Houston they've faced so far. This is a test for them, but I think they're coming into at the right time. You know, Manuel Sanders has been really good. That offense just looks so good. Um, But it's the defense. It's whether, whether they can kind of force enough plays and, and I back them to do that more than the bills. And, if they can keep that rushing attack going as well, as we mentioned with with Singletary and Moss, then that keeps the ball out of Mahomes' hands. That keeps Mahomes on the sidelines. That, for me, is where they win this game. The defense just making enough plays, controlling the time of possession, and controlling the running game because the Chiefs' defense is, is not a good unit at all.
1: It's a prove it game to me. It's a prove it game to Josh Allen now. And I go back to Week Two and Lamar Jackson. That was a prove it game as well. Can you beat the biggest baddest? team in the neighbourhood in your conference. And and they did. The the Ravens did. And Josh Allen has, unfortunately, as good as he's become, has not been able to win the big game when it mattered. You go back to Houston in the wild card. You go back to the Chiefs in the playoffs. You go back to the Chiefs in the regular season. He's not been able to do it. This now has got to be the point where Josh Allen has, because we know what the narrative will become. He can't win the big game. He can't beat Patrick Mahomes. They can't get over the hump. When they get to the playoffs, ultimately, if they get to the to the championship game, chances are they'll play the Chiefs. So people will say, well, you know, look at what he's done before. He's never been able to get over the hump. Why was, why should we think he's going to be able to do it now? And also it's important for home field advantage as well. You know, Buffalo at front foot now in terms of, you know, Casey have, you know, they've shown some vulnerability. Um, and I think it's I think it's time for Josh Allen. You know, he um if he wants to, if they want to be considered as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, he wants to be considered a legitimate MVP candidate they have to find a way to win this game. And I think he has to play a a really big game and and play up to the way he has played through the vast majority of the last two seasons. So I think it's a huge game. And I think um, I I could see the Bills going in there and winning. I've got to say.
0: Exciting. Exciting stuff. Uh, Boys, always good fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Liam Blackburn, Simon Clancy, Gridiron Magazine. Check out the magazine. The London's Calling Edition is out now.
2: Yes. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Friday. by the time
0: it. most people will be listening to this. It's probably out by now. Uh, so go and get your subscription sorted. Don't forget about the After Party or the Gridiron Tour. You can check those out at Gridiron on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back next week with a look back on the first London game and back forward to the Dolphins, which, depending on what happens this weekend, we may need to get Simon Clancy back so he can get more off his chest. We can do it ahead of cup. that one on Sunday. Uh, we, can, we do it at the pub? We I mean, joked about doing it this week at the pub. Let's do it at the pub next week. Remember when we did it in New Orleans in that bar? It was one of the best. It was one of the best times of my life. Yeah, I mean, that's because you were in New Orleans. Let's it's be great. honest, with great company. But... With great. <laughs> I'll see if I
2: can. Uh, I'll see if I can swing you to an invite to the wedding, and we'll just do it over like that.
0: <laughs> <at the> <laughs> uh, we'll be there around 10-ish. Perfect. Yeah, uh, <laughs> see you there. Thank you so much for watching and listening. This has been the Gridiron Show.